0: What are the different research cultures in communication and media studies? And how do they coexist? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Eddie borges Rey in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities these are the issues that we'll talk about in el cafe latinx where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences hola my name is pablo bochkowski i teach at northwestern university where i hold the hamid bin halif althani chair in communication together with mora Matassi, doctoral student at northwestern and executive producer of this podcast we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son stories. historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with us Eddie Borges Eddie is a Associate Professor in Residence in the digital journalism and environmental media uh, topic of the journalism and strategic communication program at Donforse University in Qatar. Before a new year, he was senior lecturer in journalism studies at the University of Sterling in the UK, associate lecturer at the University of Malaga in Spain, and he also had a number of positions in his home country of Venezuela. He got his bachelor's degree uh, in broadcast journalism at the University of Surya in Venezuela, and then his master's and his PhD, both in California, at the University of Málaga in Spain. Eddie is a widely published author with many, many articles under his name, and two books and collections. Uh, the most recent one is Data Journalism in the Global South, which came out with Harvard. And he has a forthcoming Bradley's companion to journalism in the South. He also has an exceedingly uh, successful track record in getting uh, research funds. Most recently, a very large grant from the Qatar National Research Fund for his study on media use in the Middle East. Eddie, welcome to El Cajela
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Our pleasure, my friend. So, tell us how did it all begin. That is, what was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic?
1: Well, um, after I graduated from university, and during that period of time uh, when I was cursing uh, my studies at university, I, I always uh, had a role within academic life in in uh, to a degree. So. Uh, there were um, extracurricular um, courses that uh, students that were inclined to teach will 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 take over, and one of those was um, film appreciation or or something along those lines that I I taught for a number of, of years, uh, and also I worked as the what we call preparador. Um, you know, I I was responsible to help for, for helping students uh, editing uh, their uh, and also using the, the, the ENG camera uh, to complete their assignments. So I I I, I kind of had a, a a food already on on, on um, an academia by the time I graduated, and after fifteen years working in the media industry. Um, you probably know that, uh, you know, places like like my home country in Venezuela, those positions that that you have in the media industry are are very very politicized. Uh, they are depending on you know influence and all that those those kind of things. So I knew that I didn't want to work within the media industry for for a long time. Um, ultimately, in my home country Venezuela, you either end up as as working as as press officer. For uh, the major or the governor or, or the governor, or you end up with the oil industry, Pedevesa, which is you know working as a strategic communications um, professional. So I was not really really in- interested in that, and, and, and I always had in mind that the the best way of having um, uh, some sort of profession which really valued uh, your your work and and, and give you the, the, the peace of mind to work and the stability that, that to work uh, for a for long time was, was academia. So in that sense, I knew that the transition was going to happen eventually. So I, I kept working and teaching at the same time. You know, in Venezuela, I was teaching a number of, of hours and the university was I was working in in, in television. And, and when I moved to Spain, I kind of followed the same pathway. I worked... Uh, as comes a, with a company if uh it was I was doing my master's and my phd and also teaching a few hours um until I I, I got offered my my first um full-time job in in, in Scotland and I moved to Scotland and that's when I kind of started really uh, my 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 journey um but prior to that in Spain i I, I kind of worked uh, as part of a research project. I worked with my, my, my PhD supervisor, pretty much like, like you do with, with your PhD students, normally and regularly. Um, that's where I kind of learned the, the trade in, in terms of grant capture, publication, and you know, all that. And then by the time I got my, my first position as a full-time lecturer uh, in Sterling, I, I was kind of ready to, to let go the, the media part of things.
0: Excellent. So, how was the transition from Venezuela to Spain? Did you consider graduate school in other countries, or directly went to Spain, and why Malaga?
1: Well, um, what what happened was that it, what Chavez happened, you know, uh, Chavez took took over uh, the presidency of the country, and it was unbearable. It was it got to the point. And, and and by the time, you know, we moved out of the country very, very early in the process you know, when we have seen how the situations had deteriorated significantly more recently. But we left Venezuela in 2004, and I think it was a bit of a disenchantment with, you know, how things were in the country, uh, there's some sort of media landscape in academia, and access to university was really difficult, really politicized, and... My mom, um, my mother is from from Spain originally, so I have dual citizenship. Um, So Spain was the natural place to go. Um, I was not as comfortable speaking English. And, you know, you tend to go to a place where you can speak your language. So um, my mother and my brother uh, moved to to Spain a year before we did. And they established themselves in Malaga. um, we had family living there, and you know, made made the process really easy. Um, but it was a very humbling uh, process. It was a um, you as as an immigrant, you tend to try to continue your 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 career uh, progression, and and it was it was something that I couldn't do. So I had to go back to work in the in the media industry in very very you know strange positions, producing audiovisual content, but, but, um, uh, doing all the heavy lifting myself, you know, no, I was, I was, a, 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 an executive, um, producer before I moved to Spain. I was, you know, the boss and I had, you know, camera crews responsible. Uh, I was responsible for camera crews and journalists and I was producing a, a, a range, a whole, a whole, um, um, program, um, set uh, for for a tv channel and by the time i moved i was i was the camera i was doing the editing myself i was doing all that stuff in spain and it was a process that was 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 very humbling it was you know starting from scratch again and kind of building again rebuilding my 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 career
0: how was the experience on the academic side how was experience um to you know, to be a graduate student in Spain, how did that compare with being an undergraduate student in Minnesota?
1: Well um, this is one of the interesting things that I learned throughout this journey Pablo. Um, and I think one of the things the main takeaways that I have uh, I have had in the recent years is that how wrong we are to always... Overlook and to look down things that we learn in our home countries uh, And in places that you know normally are termed as the third world um, y- You know um, one thing being a, 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 a Graduate student in Spain to me To this day is 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 what even in Venezuela too because in Venezuela. I started a, a master's degree in uh, research and education, where I was exposed to, you know, for the first time to many principles that still are, are the foundation of my academic research. Uh, you know, epistemologies, uh, paradigms, uh, for instance, differences between positivism and phenomenology or ethnography and complexity. All of that I learned in Venezuela, you know, believe it or not. Um, and to this day, I haven't seen that taught uh, in in any country of the first world. Um, but when I moved to Spain, and that pretty much um, kind of defined and outlined my 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 some sort of the essence of my academic uh, approach. I was my my PhD supervisor uh, who worked really close with Armand Matelar, for instance. Uh, he was very, very into some sort of French philosophy and French sociology. He was, he was very fluent in that, and and, and French philosophers and sociologists to to me have very interesting, deep, sophisticated uh, theorizations of the world. I, I really love French philosophers, um, and and the fact that I I, I kind of. The, my, my, my training, my formation was, was within those realms. When I got to the UK, I, I, I had to really kind of really quickly get up to speed with, with different traditions that to me were, were completely different, you know. Um, so coming from, from being, a, for instance, uh, a social constructionist, uh, going through socio semiotics, Post-structuralism, all of that, I quickly had to change and start reading representation and, 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 and theories that were really robust and important um, in, in the UK. So I still myself feel the the, the urge the urge to theorize things through uh, French optic, French prism. And I o- only resort to, uh, to the, the, the most usual suspects that um, is used within our field if I have to. But I, I try to avoid to.
0: Interesting. So, so why did you, why Sterling? How was that process for you? I mean, you finished at Malaga. And um, how do you go from Spain to Scotland, um, um, you know, as part of your first job?
1: Well, this is an interesting story because my Ph.D., <laughs> believe it or not, was not in journalism or any related matter. It was in music and communication, okay? So, um, uh, the main question that I was trying to answer in both my master's dissertation and my Ph.D. dissertation was the ways in which the music was able to communicate. Um, and by the time, Simon Frith, who is one of the well-known scholars in, in, in music, in musicology, was in Sterling. So um, one of the, one of the uh, requirements for obtaining a European doctorate is that you spend uh, one month, uh, at least one month, in an, an international European center doing research. And I, I wanted to go in and work with Simon Frey. Um, but by the time I go to Sterling, he moved to Edinburgh. Um, so I, 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 was in the Sterling Media Research Center, uh, spent a, a month doing research on my, on my PhD because their, their library was, had most of the best, uh, books on, on, on cognitive music psychology. Um, it had. Phenomenal books on musicology, ethnomusicology. So I, I, I actually photocopy a whole suitcase full of uh, of notes and things that I that really advanced my my PhD to point of completion. So that's why I went to Sterling and I fell in love. Uh, Scotland, if you haven't been there, is just absolutely beautiful, and the campus of Sterling is in the middle of the woods with a beautiful lake, with swans and I was like. Oh, gosh, you know, if there's any opportunity here, I would take it without a bit. So there was a, a, an opening there. I applied and I was shortlisted when with very broken English and did my interview. And because Sterling normally tries to find quite particular set of skills of someone who has a strong risk track record, research track record, and also has experience, uh, media professional experience. I got the job, and um, I was eight years in Scotland.
0: And in those eight years, you transitioned from music to journalism.
1: Yes, so the position was journalism, and as a former journalist, for me, it was easy to transition. I actually never published anything for my PhD. I, I always wanted to to publish any, uh, something, but I to, the day, to this day, I haven't actually published anything on my PhD. I imagine eventually, when I have the energy, to translate it uh, from Spanish to English, I'm actually uh, publish a book on that, and I don't know to what extent people are going to be interested in, in listening on uh, you know the things that I found. Uh, but it, it, uh, one 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 thing that it was interesting was that um, when you when I did my viva uh, in, in in Spain, it's a whole panel, it's five scholars and, and a chair, and you kind of defend your your thesis. Then the chair. Um, told me, well, you basically produced two PhDs here. <laughs> you did uh, 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 some sort of political economy of, of online music consumption, and at the same time, uh, you did a whole theorization of social imaginaries as a way to to attach meaning to music. And I was like, great, I have two books um, there just waiting to be written.
0: Excellent. So, and in terms of your daily professional practice, how... Um, how were those first years as a professor?
1: Um, if they were challenging uh, in Sterling, pretty much because of, of what I what I what I what I told you. I remember uh, getting there and, and trying to teach um, things the way I either you know for theory modules and core modules that that's that's how they they're calling and. Uh, I will I will resort to theories that people probably would hate um, in, in the UK because there was this this some sort of uh, perception of French academe, uh, uh, academia or you know theory theory as really abstract difficult to uh, dense in 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 so I had to really kind of get up to speed with with, um, you know, all the mortal panic, all the kind of representation, all the theories that are are well-established theories in the, in the UK to teach uh, theory courses. But, you know, journalism courses uh, where I was teaching more practical, hands-on um, elements were, were a little bit easier to teach uh, because, you know, we're just basically teaching the trade to students. Um, and every time that I, I I'll tell them, you know, I will be covering a coup or, you know, manifestations in the street where people will throw, you know, Molotov bombs at the, at the at the National Guard and all that, where I would get the attention of the students right away because, you know, uh, they were not really accustomed to the kind of, of journalism in in, 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 in Sterling, in, well, in Scotland.
0: And you are in Scotland, but your work has a very strong Latin American focus. Hmm.
1: Well, not, not at first. Uh, sorry. Oh, sorry.
0: No, no, no. I mean, I, so how is that? how did that develop?
1: That was my question. Well, at first it was not. It, I didn't have a Latin American focus. Um, the only article that I published on music uh, before, just as soon as I got to Sterling, was um, uh, some sort of music ethnographic piece on reggaeton. In, in the UK and um, after that I started just to do, I got after seven semesters of teaching, this is something that Sterling had was you know it was phenomenal. I got a research leave uh, sabbatical of a semester and that gave me the opportunity to, to put together a research plan for the next five years. And what happened was that there was a the time when data journalism was starting to 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 happen you know there were the first few articles on, on data journalism starting to happen and to me it was a surprise that no one was writing about data journalism in the UK so i used that opportunity to do a number of interviews to data journalists working in london in the financial times the guardian the bbc you name it at reuters and i published my first uh, piece on data journalism which is to date one of the the most cited uh, of my of my of my articles, and I started research on data journalism in the UK initially, and then because Sterling uh, gave me the opportunity to coordinate a master's program that we used to run in Vietnam. You know, we have to travel to Vietnam and teach students there. I would take that opportunity and other opportunities of research that presented themselves in China to run a couple of articles. Uh, similar to the one that I uh, published in the UK on data journalism in China and Vietnam. So that's when I started to bec- become interested on, on global issues. And then as normally happens with us global uh, scholars from the Global South, we start to be exposed to the, the some sort of power dynamics of our field and you start to feel marginalized and you start to feel the, you know, there's some sort of injustices and unfair and how unfair is, you know, the ways in which uh certain people reach, you know, the center of the debate and the conversation by not necessarily saying something interesting. And 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 then you feel at the periphery of the whole conversation constantly pushed back. And that really made me realize the importance of of what, you know, people like you, uh, Eugenia, Haido, uh, Silvio, uh, and Latin America in particular, Claudia Miguel, for instance, are, are doing, and, you know, many other colleagues, uh, but also, you know, Saba Bibawi with Arab uh, journalism, Bruce Byron in and, and Africa, uh, many other scholars in the rest of the global South. And I started to read and read obsessively their work and to start to see that what I experienced as a professional journalist, the ways in which I did journalism, the ways in which I perceived journalism were not necessarily the ways in which our field was representing or depicting journalism more generally, assuming that that's the universal journalism that is practiced all over the world. And I started to feel the urge to challenge and question those things. And this has started to happen in a, in a period where gender equality became a, a very important issue for discussion, uh, race became a very important issue, discussion, and then I felt part of, of, of the whole discussion uh, and, and I started to feel the, you know, the urge to, to push back.
0: What has been the reception of your back?
1: Well, those 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 guys are really well foxholed into their trenches. You know that's 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 the reality. Um, there's um, there are there are in my view scholars from the global north that are legitimately interested in, in 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 widening access to to people from the global south to the to the center of the debate and the, the disciplines. There are people that are. Obviously, in control of, of of the conversation, and they are not willing to let go. They they everything is comfy, cosy, and warmy, and they obviously don't want to let go. Uh, they are always the people that are called, you know, to talk about issues. They, they go and and do uh, talks for governments. You know, they, they're comfortable in that position. Um, as long as their agenda remains being the predominant agenda, they're going to be. The ones that pretty much control and drive the conversation, and there are others that see it as a means to be politically correct. You know, it's not really necessarily that they feel that they, there needs to be uh, an equitable access to, to to the conversation, but what they feel is that well, we didn't, we need to do, do it because it's politically correct. Um, so. Those are the kind of the three main ways in which I see the reaction of the status quo, if you like, um, um, in relation to this pushback. And do
0: you see things changing over time or staying more or less the same?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I feel at this moment I'm a bit... Reluctant, skeptic, and I, I feel that um, because I am currently the international liaison uh, for the journalism division in, in in the ICA, the International Communication Association. Uh, and uh, when I took, all, took on that role in, 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 in uh, two years ago, I was really, really enthusiastic and really excited to see what, 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 what can be done. Obviously, COVID didn't help. In, in, in creating a, a space for for these conversations but at the same time um, initiatives didn't happen uh, what I what I found was that people at the periphery were not really interested in being part of the ICA they were you know uh, most of the people sorry oh my apologies some of the people that um, that that we were trying to get into, you know, coming to the ICA. They were particularly not interested. They, they, they were other, um, um, there were other um, spaces uh, like ICREA, for instance, in Europe, or and here you will have to cut because I don't remember IIACA or I that one. IAMCR. NCR There you go where they feel they are better represented and they are, they have a more equu- equitable access. They don't feel that ICA is that case. Sorry to say it that crudely, but that's the truth. Um, on the other hand, I also started to see how, for instance, research traditions that will never behave the same way that the, the traditions from, for instance, the United States or the United Kingdom uh, behaved in terms of their approach to theory, the ways in which they, um, they will um, gather data or or, or or theorize or problematize an issue, you know, was, was completely different to, to the research traditions in other places. I started to see how exploratory stu- studies were demonized as, low in quality, um, and I started to feel, well, look, not every research tradition in every country will have the same level of development than the one that that, that has been initiated in the 1920s in the United States or in the United Kingdom. Uh, many traditions, many research trajectories started really late, and they are in those stages of exploration which will lead to gather of empirical data that in the future will lead to phenomenal theorizations. But at the moment, we cannot really ignore those exploratory stages by saying they are low quality because that's the stage of where where they are at the moment. The same way we cannot um, ask certain research cultures to question uh, the work of of previous masters in, in the area because they don't feel comfortable doing so. So there's a lack of, of cultural awareness that prevents many, free, many, many, many uh, scholars from the Global South to really gain access to the center of the discussion. And that is a shame because, you know, I am sure one one particular uh one particular thing that I, I am very upset about is every time that a scholar from the global north or uh, uh, publishes an article or a book where it says they, thus far it hasn't, it haven't, it hasn't been uh, an intellectually robust discussion on this as a means to justify the importance of their work, I, I, really, ask them, I, I really ask them, are you sure? Do you know if, if something written in Arab in Arabic, in Arabic or something written in Mandarin or something written in Spanish hasn't reached the same level of sophistication that you do you feel so, so confident that that thus far, because you have not read anything in English, you are the only one doing that. That to me is insulting. What could be done
0: to change the state of affairs?
1: Well, um, one of the first things that I wanted to do was to, I knew that ICA was, um, was, I don't know if helping, but there were kind of associated conferences taking place in other, in other countries. And I wanted to really kind of travel there because I think the most important thing that needs to happen is not granting access is the synergies, the cross pollination. That's, that's what is necessary because it doesn't matter if there's a, a whole panel, uh, um, and and we saw this ourselves, Pablo, when we organized the the uh, pre-conference Latin American uh, media uh, during all these years. How many scholars that, how many uh, journalism studies scholars have come to our conference? How many? Even though that we're we're actually uh, delivering papers in English, we're, we're basically it's following all the steps for people just from other uh, uh, disciplines to come and and, and and being exposed to the research that we're doing, which is high caliber, which is high quality, which is done by top profile scholars in the world. How many have come? They're not really interested. Uh, they're interested to come to the same political communication panels, to the same uh, sociology of the news panels that that, that they are interested on. But as long as they don't come and they start just kind of interacting with scholars from from the periphery. And those scholars have real meaningful access to the center of the conversation without being uh, disregarded as low quality, as not really kind of there, as not sophisticated enough, as not complex enough, and all of that. We're not gonna have this necessary conversation.
0: And do you think that in other professional societies is better? Based on your experience,
1: it might be. Uh, I've heard that, for instance, those two uh, conferences and, and they, they do a better job in making feel uh, making feel people from from the global south welcome. Uh, but I I I, I my, myself haven't experienced that yet. I um, I have attended a few ICREA ICREA uh, and, and 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 I mostly go to ICA, and, um, but. Um, I, I I am particularly skeptical at the moment, and that perhaps is the state of, you know, the, the moment in my life where I am at the moment that perhaps is not really helpful, but um, uh, I like to think that there's an opportunity. You know, um, the, 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 the fact that many many PhD students coming from the global south are making it to the United States, United K, uh, United, the, the United Kingdom, getting their PhDs there, potentially uh, getting a job within within those 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 spaces. And then from within, they're starting to challenge the, the status quo. That is an important aspect. But then we have those PhDs facing a duality that is awful because I have seen, I have provided advice to those PhD students uh, and, and telling them, look, why are you on a piece that has to do with data journalism and say, for the sake of argument, Colombia, why are you citing studies, only studies on data journalism in the United States when there's a, a body of knowledge on data journalism in Latin America that should be citing? It says, well, because the peer reviewer asked me to do it. it. says, well, but the problem is the peer reviewer is making a mistake because he's imposing his own views and his own discipline uh, Perspective, disciplinary perspective, on an article that is contextually different. So you, those PhD students are faced with the duality in a duality in a in a very limited and finite space. Workout they need to actually hit all of that, that to hit those two identities to to be a, a global South scholar and a global North scholar all all at once, and that is not fair for them. It's not fair. Absolutely,
0: and. So you moved now to a place in the Global South, right? Um, you were a scholar from the Global South, but worked in the UK. Now you work uh, in Doha, Qatar. Um, how has been that experience? What's the life of a professor in Doha like?
1: Well, look, um, I started to really enjoy multicultural, multiculturality within the campus in Sterling. Sterling, I had a lot of students from, from mostly Scots and mostly, you know, people from the United Kingdom, but we had a number of students coming from China. We had a number of students. I actually was able to go and, and teach students in Vietnam, teach students in, in 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 China and and becoming aware of what a global professor really is, you know, how then you behave yourselves and conduct yourself when you're teaching students in, in different cultures, and that to me was a phenomenal experience, not only because I got to eat phenomenal food in in, in countries that you know cook the authentic delicacies that I you know I, I absolutely love uh, to this day. So I kind of try to implement those those ideas. But what I love the most about teaching here in Qatar is that. I get to teach my journalism again. So for instance, just to give you an example, every time that I taught a student how to access or how to file a Freedom of Information Act request, this is something that I learned myself in the UK. I never did as a journalist, okay? I know this is something that journalists in the UK do and I need to teach my students, uh, my journalist students in the UK because they need to do it as a journalist in the UK. But I myself never, never was able to file a freedom of information act request in any government in, in, the, in Venezuela, neither during the, 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 the Chavez Maduro um, uh, era nor uh, when you know, the democracy that we experienced during th- more than thirty years was in place. Um, so I got to teach again my journalism, the one that 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 you know you really need to navigate a complex. The complex politics of the place, where you really need to be really creative in order to get an interviewee to talk to you, and, and where you really need to protect uh, your interviewees uh, as, as, a, as a main priority. You know many other things that 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 you know. And, and paradoxically, we are Northwestern University. We're we're an American. You know, we are providing students with a medieval title. So this is a constant conversation that we have. As part of the journalism and, and strategic communications program, is to what extent do we need students? We need we need to teach students a journalism that is useful uh, for them to go back to their home country in India or Nepal or China or um, um, or any part, country in the Gulf, uh, and at the same time, to what extent do we need to teach them? Uh, Western journalism in case they get a job in, in, in the United States uh, because they have a Medill, uh, um school um, d- diploma, sorry. So it is also great to, to do research uh, here, uh, being able to explore um, and to learn about the culture, the, the media habits, the, the ways in which uh, research is conducted. Uh, I, am, I am over the moon. Uh, my students are are super smart and bright and sharp they are way they have this unextinguishable appetite to learn and 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 they are uh, they are absolutely phenomenal and i get to, kn- to to learn about the cultures of many other countries that I haven't been exp- ex- exposed to by just having conversations with them uh talking about you know traditions rituals food culture music etc
0: well, right, probably the Northwestern University in Qatar campus is even more global in terms of number of countries represented than the Sterling campus, the well and the Malaga
1: campus. Yes, indeed, it is. Of course, completely. Right. And also it's, a different, slightly different mix, I'm assuming really? yes, it is. It is absolutely. And to me, what is interesting is um, when when we had a conversation with Charles Whitaker, uh, who's the dean of of the of the medieval School, he was quite aware. He says, you know, he said to us. You know, what you do here guys is 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 super different to what we do here. It's, a, it's an all-american school of journalism whereas in here you have a more global uh, outlook you you are able to teach uh, different forms of journalism and, and I think that's the very interesting discussion is is challenging this notion that there's a, a quintessential universal journalism that is applicable and transferable to all parts of the world what I found in my research is that yes as as global South journalists, we struggle constantly with at uh, this duality, the duality of what is the standard, the golden rules, the gold standards that we follow, the the Univision, the Miami, you know, the, the some sort of journalism that is done in Mexico, which is very influenced by by American journalism. We 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 were trained with many principles of American journalism. But then when we when we go to do journalism we realize really quickly that we, we we couldn't do that journalism in Venezuela. That that the infrastructure was not there for us to do that journalism. And we really quickly had to relearn journalism. And that's when when we, we, we understand that well this is this is what it's supposed to be and this is what will be great if we we can aim to do this journalism. But this is really the journalism that we can do because the geopolitics uh, only allow for this um, so I feel that I'm, I'm a unique position where I can shift gears between one and another uh, and I can you know if I go to the United States I can teach you know the typical journalism that you can you can do there uh, but if I, I'm able to teach here I, I feel a little bit kind of the spice of life you know I, I'm like oh this is more interesting you know let's just find a way to get this interview to talk to you let's, let's find this way of, of you know of bypassing this this obstacle overcoming this issue you know um, is it, a little bit far more 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 interesting and creative because you know the the, the the socioeconomic political uh environment is constantly shifting and changing there's not it's not as static as in, in, in other parts of the world
0: so then if you have magical powers that could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies change?
1: What would you wish for? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that if if I could change people's interest with a with the swift, uh, you know, of of um, of a magic wand um if i could legitimately get people interested in learning about other research traditions um we together you know we form. um this was a phenomenal initiative um led by um Daniela Dimitrova who's the editor of uh, Journal of Mass Communication which uh, Quarterly, together with my colleague Bruce Mutzweier, uh, they organized this uh, forum where we invited a number of, you know, leading scholars uh, in, in journalism from different regions of the global south to have a conversation about the epistemology, the epistemological contours of the journalism that was practiced and studied in, in each one of the regions. And the pieces that came out of that were, were Remarkable to me. I learned so much about the cultures of different countries, um, and and how they those cultural uh, elements influence the way in which journalism is is done and perceived, and how they they don't really match the some sort of epistemological claims of the, the some sort of universal journalism that is but has been imposed colonially, you know, uh, onto us. So um if i were to change the way in which people think about other different research traditions research environments other different theories to be more patient and to be more welcoming in terms of not disregarding that research because it's exploratory Oh, because it has it hadn't actually reached the level of sophistication theor- theoretical sophistication that is required at the moment just to give you give them time to mature give them time to reach that level um, i i will you know just citing your um, your introduction to your special uh, issue on uh, digital journalism we will get a better scholarship uh, that to me by the way was an influential piece of work. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for for, for, for doing that. Um, and and that's something that we're trying to translate. Uh, when we talk to to the authors that we approach to for 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 the Routledge companion to uh, uh, journalism, in the Global South, we we basically send them your introduction and said, look, guys, this is the issue. This is this is this pretty much reflects what we we want to do, and we 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 try to steer them to to cover issues not just on you know this is how journalism is done in this country but this is how it's done and this is aimed at scholars from the global south not only to learn that there's different cultures and different ways of doing journalism all over the world but that we can mutually learn from each other and and you can address issues that you're experiencing now that that where, where we have extensive experience because we have lived with with figures like donald trump for years so you know I think this is necessary.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Very important answer. Thank you, Eddie, uh, for a great conversation. Um, thank you to our listeners for staying with us uh, to the end. And I invite everybody to join us. For yes. Thank you very much. Eddie.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mona Matassi.